It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now. Life's busy. Take this deck. There's heaps to do on it. Like, um, polishing off this wine. That's tough. Life's pretty good with a Trex deck. Composite decking with no hard maintenance. Trex, the world's number one decking brand. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Do try, yeah, do try that Delmar tea. I've drunk uh, plenty of it over the years, I must say, and it's fire, mighty fine stuff. 10.22 here on SENZ, and the panel this morning consists of Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis. Uh, we've got a number of uh, topics to cover this morning, especially after uh, a hot weekend of action. Uh, Jamie, can I begin with you, please? Uh, Super Rugby or Picky is done and dusted, first year in, abbreviated, quickfire stuff. What did you make of it uh, in the end? Yeah, good morning, Smithy. Good morning, Brad. Uh, I, it, it's really kind of hard to know what to make of it, um, considering the circumstances that it got played under. Uh, even before the COVID disruptions, um, there were quite a lot of raised eyebrows at the fact that it was only going to be four weeks long um, with only the four teams um, playing one round each. Uh, and then when you sort of had a good look at it, you, you kind of almost had to sympathise with New Zealand rugby because it's like, well, how else are they going to be able to do it? Um, but then uh, once the disruption started happening, um, the players moved into a bubble, um, became apparent that uh, it wasn't suiting all of them because you know, obviously they're not fully professional players and so they're having to completely readjust their lives in order to get put in there. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, there's a few stories coming out of that. Um, but uh, the rugby itself, well, I mean, it, it was entertaining. There was there was some good stuff, but I think that given that Super Rugby Opiki was supposed to be set up as a way of advancing the Black Ferns' chances of, of winning the World Cup and, and just doing something for their uh, program in general, well, uh, it didn't really tell me anything I didn't already know. You know, like uh, I know that Ruby Tui and Portia Woodman and and Kelly Brazier and so on are good players, and they showed that. Uh, but what I was hoping to see was uh, a bit of a fix in the things that went wrong on last year's Northern Tour for the Black Ferns, and that was discipline and set police. And neither of those things happened. In fact, yesterday in those two games, there was 68 penalties across both, both, both games. And that's something that really needs to get looked at. Um, the set piece across all, all teams, including the Chiefs, was a bit shaky. So, you know, I understand the constraints that they were under to do that, but I thought that those areas would have been something that should have been a work on. And I feel bad being a bit of a grunch and, and saying like, well, hang on, let's just st- step back and, and, and sort of focus on what this thing should have been about because, you know, the players obviously had fun and it was a good time and people were entertained. But at the end of the day, if this is going to be the competition that NZ Rugby wants it to be, uh, it should be more focused on the key areas that are going to help out the national team. Brad, did you see any uh, good things in terms of that, um, what's coming up later in the year, the Women's World Cup? Did you, did you see it as a great development learning tool there? Look, Jamie surmised that perfectly and, and beautifully. Like, uh, on myself, so I feel like I can add. My, I guess my point is that I just feel like we need a little bit more, um, kind of feel a little bit shortchanged. Uh, yeah, I, but in terms of the, the set piece and the defence, a little bit disappointed, again, in their structure and stuff like that. And it is a bit worrying when you consider 
how how outplayed the Black Ferns were at the end of last year um, by a very good England side and a very good French side. That uh, you know those problems still exist at, at the ground level with those with those players. Um, very good on attack, but we just seem to lack a little bit uh, when the when the heat goes on. Uh, so yeah, I just I just feel like we need more. It needs to be an expanded competition next year. Um, if the world gets back to normal as we hope, mm. maybe we can include the Australian teams in it and just have a bigger competition with with more focus on the players and and again have them playing alongside the men so that we get good crowds there and and get more publicity, more eyeballs on on the women. Game. Just looking, uh, Jamie, at the six, six Nations, I actually just watching a few highlights myself that I hadn't seen over the weekend. And Kieran Crowley, of course, at the helm of Italy, upsetting Wales, their first win in donkey's years. I think about 36 or 37 matches on the trot, they weren't able to get one. Man, scenes, uh, passionate scenes there. Yeah, and uh, not only a win, but the way in which they got it, um, that, that winning try uh, by... Um, uh, Padovani, they're set up by Anji Kapuzo, um, a, a guy who's, I think, listed at weighing as about 70 kgs and looks like he's about 13 years old, mm. uh, carving up the Welsh defence. What a finish to a game. Oh, I was, uh, It was absolutely stunning. I, I think that's the, uh, the rugby highlight of the of the weekend for me uh, right there. And you got a feel for the Italians. They've done it tough for, I think, yeah, seven years now. And Kieran Crowley is a guy who's come in with a pretty patchy coaching record uh, in the in the past. Um, I remember seeing him getting, getting that Italy job and thinking like, well, you know, this could go sort of one of either ways. But he has got some real talent in there um, in that team, some young guys. Uh, Paolo Gobesi at first five, there's a lot of raps on him. Um, hopefully we can see these guys flourish and become more of a force in international rugby. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Brad, I want to change tack if I can now uh, and go to UFC. And I've got to ask you this question, apart from the obvious answer, which is money, why does Dan Hooker keep doing it? Why? Yeah, look, um, I, this is hard for me because I've known Dan for, for a decade now, well, pretty close to a decade. Um, I interviewed him many times. I've uh, been at the gym with him, uh, you know, met his, met his little little girl and his wife, and I know how much the sport means to him. He's got his own gym in Ellerslie that he's developing, and, and the kids that he's training, he's helping out immensely, and they really look up to him. I found that extremely hard to watch yesterday. Uh, you know, Arnold Allen is a very, very good fighter, but definitely Dan's beaten guys better than him uh, in, in his career. I mean, he's hung with some of the best in the world, and he just didn't look like the Dan Hooker of old. And, uh, you know, like, I, I know that a few fights ago when he lost to Michael Chandler for a, for a split second, he was contemplating retirement. And he was looking at this move down to featherweight as a potential sort of career, like rebirth for him in a way, and, and an exciting rebirth with a great division. But I just, it was, it was a horrific watch. And, um, and, and as a fan of Dan the Human, um, maybe it, it might be time for him to think about it because I think he's going to make an amazing coach post-career in the mold of a Eugene Behrman and I know how much he means to the city kickboxing guys including mm. Israel Adesanya so yeah it's just it was pretty upsetting to be honest to watch you know someone that you know he's just a very very good human he's one of the good guys of New Zealand sport to see him lose like that was was pretty horrific. Okay so uh, what's on the horizon uh, coming up for UFC fans New Zealand wise? 
Uh, Kaikata Francis fighting this weekend. This is a massive fight, Smithy. If he wins this fight, he books himself a flyweight title fight, probably towards the back end of the year. Again, Kai, another really, really good bloke of New Zealand sport. He's done phenomenally well in this division. He beat a former world champion in Cody Garbrandt last time out, uh, fighting a very tough guy in Askar Askarov, who's a, a good Russian mixed martial artist. If he can get past this, the world is his oyster, and he's certainly got a chance. He's looked phenomenal in his last two fights. So, big, big weekend for Kaikata Francis. Look forward to those uh, UFC bout, uh, bouts coming up. Um, it really is uh, gaining a lot of traction in this country with uh, every time one of our people actually participates. So it's, it's terrific. Hey, look, we're going to take a break, fellas, if we can. Uh, when we come back, well, let's talk about a, a women's cricket, of course, the Warriors, of course, over the weekend. A bit of a familiar, familiar there, wasn't it? Uh, I can tell you just before we go to the news, uh, 133 for five, the West Indies. So it looks like uh, with only five and a half overs to go, they have survived and will not lose that test match to England. And in the Valspar Championship, Sam Burns has a two-shot lead over Justin Thomas uh, with three holes to go. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Doma. Do try it. Brad Lewis and uh, Jamie Wall with us this morning. Jamie, uh, well, uh, I've been following, of course, uh, the Cricket World Cup around the New Zealand as it's been uh, unfolding. And right from uh, the first game against the West Indies, uh, the White Ferns have been up against it. And yesterday was just another classic example of uh, a performance which was a little bit underwhelming at times. What have you made of it? Uh, I think you're being kind by saying it's been a little bit underwhelming. It's been very underwhelming. Um, right from the start, uh, from the very first game, it just feels like the White Ferns campaign just got off to a bad start and hasn't really got back on back on track. It's been far too dependent on too few players. And once they either get injured, like what happened with Sophie Devine yesterday, or just fail to fire, um, the rest of the team can't make up for what's what, what they're leaving out there. And even when England, who have been similarly disappointing in this World Cup, uh, had a complete brain explosion and was it, lost five wickets for bugger all runs there at the end and, and handed the White Ferns this amazing opportunity to win, win the game, mm. um, couldn't be taken. Uh, I mean, if there's one good thing about, about the way the White Ferns have gone about this tournament, is that, uh, that they've been very exciting finishes and it's kept people watching them. Uh, which has been good, but you know, we—I remember—we talked uh, right at the start about expectations um, for the White Ferns, and we we agreed that semi-finals, at the absolute least, would would is is what we're after. And now it looks like they're not even going to make those. So this has to go down as as a disappointment, um, uh, especially considering they're playing at home. Uh, it's, and them bowing out of a tournament uh, at home just does the World Cup a bit of a disservice as well. So. And what what actually has been, you know, a really good tournament uh, across the board. Uh, some really, really good cricket played. Um, obviously, Australia seemed to be head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, but it would have been nice to at least have had a New Zealand side that may have eventually played them in the semis with a sniff of a chance there. But that looks like it's not going to be happening. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. To me, I really do hope that it doesn't die a bit of a death uh, because we're effectively out of it. I, I really do because uh, what I've seen um, Brad in particular is is that the standard of women's cricket and in a lot of areas has markedly picked up even though I think we appear to be a little bit behind in some of that. I look at that Australian women's team uh, the, the skill factors uh, that they've got 
uh, are quite incredible, most complete World Cup squad I think I've ever seen in, in any sport. Yeah, it's it's the best women's cricket team of all time. Like, you look at that side, and I mean, even in the game against the White Ferns, we had them three or four down, and you saw what what, what uh, Gardner and, and Elise Perry did. Uh, that that team is so stacked. Their bowling lineup is fantastic. They're so deep in their batting. It's it's a it's an it's an almost a, a perfect cricket team. Uh, you know, with Meg Lanning leading leading the batting lineup and um, with their great bowling lineup. It'd be a travesty if they don't win the tournament. As far as the White Ferns go. Let's be realistic. They should they should be five and one. Like you know, there's something that that went wrong there. That you know they just can't get over the line. Should have beaten the West Indies. They had that game one in the final over, and then a brain explosion by a couple of batters. Katie Martin was batting superbly, and then got herself out. And then you know we bat the fifty overs against South Africa. We beat them, and if, if they bat the fifty overs against England, they probably beat them too. So uh, you know they've only got themselves to blame. Um, and and I think rightly so. There's, there should be some criticism thrown out because if this was you know the Black Caps, there would be. And um, we've missed a golden opportunity to make a final, um, albeit against a team that probably would have hammered us uh, and I can't see anyone getting close to the Aussies. No, I can't either uh, to be perfectly honest. It's been um, a a very poor effort uh, to be fair Uh, and speaking of those um, Jamie, (laughs) I didn't see it myself but here we go again, the Warriors let one slip. Well I understand and I'll talk to Vossi after 11 o'clock about this folks, uh, that we did score quite a controversial try I wasn't able to see it uh, yeah, yeah, right at the end of the uh, first half there, um, uh, yeah, there was a, a pretty dodgy, dodgy try that the bunker decided to give to the Warriors. So there, there, there's a first um, that the the bunker um, went the Warriors' way. Um, unfortunately, they they didn't want to give the Warriors any love after that. I think uh, the Warriors didn't score a point in the second half um, against the tight side that uh, wasn't really up to much either. Really. Um, uh, I think it all started going wrong right from the start. I think the, the Warriors conceded a try straight off the kickoff, um, and just it just it, they, they looked really d- disjointed. Um, it, it's kind of saying something when Wade Egan is your most potent attacking threat uh, out there, um, and I, I just feel like it's just going to be a really long long season if, if this is. The sort of standard that they're, they're starting off with, um, that they need, they just need something to just start clicking really, really fast, uh, because otherwise this is just going to be, we're going to be doing this every week, um, having the same conversation, mm. uh, and I don't really want to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> no, Brad, I heard a little chortle in the background. Obviously, you kind of agree. <laughs> Yeah, look, it's it's the Warriors, right? Like we've been handed a really handy draw this season, where we don't play a top. We play one top eight side in the first six weeks, uh, um, or one predicted top eight side in the first six weeks. And and you know you start you see things against the Dragons and the Titans, you're a good chance of of being two from two. And look, we um we let the second half get away from us against the Dragons. And look, the best side won. Um, on Saturday, I thought the Titans were the better team for the most most part of that game. I thought Wade Egan was exceptional. I thought Reese Walsh showed moments of brilliance, and Ash Taylor's kicking game was was good at times, which is promising um, if we if we get Sean Johnson back. But I I just feel like this this could, has the potential to be the worst season in Warriors history, which what I think is three or four wins mm. back in the Super League days. So uh, yeah, I just uh, there's so many quality teams in this league. Similarly, I think. 
you know, the, the weak teams are the Tigers, the Cowboys, the Warriors, and probably the Dragons, and every other team is going to be a real tough beat for the Warriors this season. So uh, I, I don't like the outlook for the club this year. I really don't. Brad, uh, on another subject yesterday, quite a poignant one, really. The friends and family, the closest to him, uh, laid uh, Shane Warne to rest yesterday. Mm. Of course, there's going to be a big state funeral and a big uh, celebration of his life at the MCG coming up, which will be an extravaganza, I can promise you that, uh, which reflect his life. But uh, it, was, uh, well, it was was quite weird seeing uh, his family walk behind the hearse yesterday carrying his coffin uh, at uh, the St Kilda Footy Club. Yeah, look, I never had the chance to meet Warney, but man, I wish I did. He just seemed like such a, a good bloke, you know, like just a, a really good bloke. I know when he played cricket, we feared him, but respected him um, as, as fans. And, um, you know, you probably had many opportunities to, to chat to the guy. And he just seemed to know cricket better than most. And I just think it's a real shame for the game. I used to love his commentary for Fox Sport. I just thought he brought a lot to the, the commentary box. And he's just a lost to sport. And, a, a, you know, it just, just such, seems like such a, a likable guy. Um, off the field and uh, yeah I think you know he, he deserves all the plaudits that he's got post life and I know speaking to Mark Richardson he's got massive regrets that he never got to bury the hatchet with Warney um, you know but those two are well from from Rigger's point of view um, they had they hadn't got on for a very long time so yeah it's just um, it's just a shame that um that that we've lost one of the greats of, of, of world sport. Yeah, Jamie, look, uh, I'm a bit of uh, the opinion, I, I, I've, you know, there's been a lot of great sporting people pass away in my time, but whether it's because it's so close to New Zealand, so close to home, I'm not quite sure I've seen an aftermath this big. No, certainly certainly not. And I, and I think it is because Shane Warne transcended sport. Um, you know, you didn't have to be a cricket fan or a cricket tragic to to know of him and to know about who he was, his character. Um, and I think that's why it, there's just been such an outpouring of emotion. And, and because, of course, he, he went uh, you know, so young, um, it, was just, it was just a shock. Uh, and we, and after, a week after we'd, we'd lost uh, Inga Tuingamala and Joelle Gundiri at similarly young ages, as well, I think it just sort of really kind of hit home um, for a lot of people, especially in the times that we live in. I think that we're we're really treating treating death of people, uh, of celebrities, people we grew up with, uh, a lot a lot different now. You know, it, it, it just it, it really kind of hits home the whole mortality of the thing. I know it's getting a bit deep, deep and meaningful for the panel on a Monday morning, but mm. um, I think that's why it felt it felt that way for me. You know, he was a guy I, I literally grew up with. Um, I met him when I was a kid. You know, it was a fantastic experience. Um, I loved it, loved the way he played ever since. And and you know, it just it just hurts. And and I think that's why. I think that's why. And it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't just hurt the cricket fans. It hurts everybody. Guys, uh, thanks very much for your input this morning. Enjoyed uh, your thoughts there. Jamie Wall and Brad Lewis uh, with the panel. We'll have another one at the same time uh, tomorrow morning, of course. Life's so full on. I've been working on this deck for ages. These steaks don't cook themselves, you know. Life's good with a Trex deck. Composite decking made from 95% recycled materials that won't rot, stain or fade. Trex, the world's number one decking brand.